0: Hey everybody, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. Today, we're going to be previewing Atlanta United's match against Philadelphia on Sunday at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. The game is going to be broadcast by Fox and for free on Apple TV. You can follow my coverage on Twitter at Doug AJC or on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. And I hope that you'll consider subscribing to my employer, the Atlanta journal constitution In this podcast, you're going to hear from Marseidich, Brooks Lennon, Yorgo Shakamakis, who was named to the MLS All-Star team earlier this week, along with teammate Tiago Almada, and manager Gonzalo Pineda. You're also going to hear from Steve Cangelosi, who's going to be the play-by-play announcer for Fox for Sunday's MLS match. And I'm going to answer the questions that you sent in into the mailbag and i always appreciate those so thank you very much let's go over a few stats about the game super fast before we get into the audio so philadelphia is in fourth place in the east with 34 points it is 10-5-4 overall 3-4-2 away at united is in sixth with 29 points it is 7-5-8 overall 6-1-3 at home so if you do the math real quick i had to take off my socks and shoes Atlanta is five points behind Philadelphia. It's also five points ahead of 10th place Charlotte. This is a massive two games for Atlanta United coming up. Philadelphia has always been a tough out for Atlanta United. Montreal is 7-1-0 at home this year. That's the next game that Atlanta United plays. If Atlanta United wins these next two games, it's going to be sitting pretty. If Atlanta United loses these next two games, it could very well find itself either right at the playoff line or below the playoff line, depending upon the other results. So they've got to get some points out of these matches. To do that, they can't keep making the same mistakes that are killing the team right now. I just wrote a story about Pineda talking about a possible formation change. And if you look at the numbers, it's crazy. The Atlanta United has allowed 35 goals, tied for the most in Major League Soccer. It's expected goals allowed is only 24.7. Like So opponents have scored 10 more goals against Atlanta United than they should have allowed. But it's because of the individual mistakes and bad luck. So anyway, when we come back, we're going to hear from some of the players from Pineda, and then we'll get into the mailbag. If this is your first time listening to us, please make sure to follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.
1: Ocean Breeze
0: So Atlanta United's last match was the 4-0 loss at Red Bulls, a place where the team is still yet to win in franchise history in the regular season. After the game, Caleb Wiley had talked about he thought that the team was missing its aggressiveness. It didn't come out ready to fight with Red Bulls. I asked Amar Sadic if he agreed and what he learned from the match that they can apply to Sundays.
3: I mean, they have a similar styles of play, very direct, uh, very aggressive team. Uh, they press together. So I think for us, sticking to kind of how we know how to play but i think maybe kind of turning up when we do lose the ball the counter pressure the first five seconds after that how can we you know how can we be how can we have the energy to be contagious where as soon as you lose the ball one guy presses the next guy follows the guy behind him follows and then from there we recoup the ball and then start another attack so i think that's important
0: so then i'll follow that up by asking amar if he. thought they were, was it just a matter of being passive or just a need to be more consistent?
3: I would say, yeah, I think consistency is key. I think it has to be on every play. I think it has to be, uh, we, need, we need to demand it from each other more and because uh, I, I really do think that you know we can score a lot of goals in, in counter pressures and then because we always have guys high and wide mm-hmm. uh, we have guys that are able to hold up the ball like our strikers we have guys that are creative with their passes so i think if, if we're able to succeed with counter pressures i think we can create more opportunities to score
0: and here's brooks Lennon talking about the lack of aggressiveness against the red bulls
3: i think uh it was a disab-
4: disappointing result for us um, not the way we want to represent atlanta united and um, you know, we knew Red Bulls was going to come out, press high, uh, be very intense uh, in, in challenges and in, in aerial duels. Um, and we we just didn't match that intensity from minute one. So uh, Philadelphia is, is a very good team. Um, you know, you saw them in the MLS Cup final, uh, you know, this past season. So uh, we got to be ready for, for Sunday.
0: And then I wanted to get his take on Yorgos, who scored 10 goals. He's going to the MLS All-Star game, which is going to be in DC at Audi Field against Arsenal later this month. Just kind of comparing Gigi to Joseph Martinez. He's gotten to play with both of them now.
4: Just different people, you know. Every, everyone has different personalities. Um, you know, Joseph was a very good guy. Um, you, you, you know, goal goal hound on the field. Um, wanted to do everything he he could uh, to to get the ball in the back of the net. And the same thing is for Gigi. He's you know, every striker, uh, every modern-day striker is very goal-hungry, goal and, um, you know, you see that on the field when, whenever Gigi's uh, playing, he, he wants to score. So we, we try our best to, to provide him, you know, opportunities in, in games, and I, I don't think that we gave him enough service in, in Red Bull. Um, so we're going to focus on, on trying to give him the best opportunities to score uh, on Sunday.
0: And then here's Lennon on why Yurgos is such an effective scorer.
4: Well, I think, you know, from from the first minute that that he came to the team, he started to create, you know, relationships and and bonds with guys on the field, um, you know, that were going to give him the service that he needed. And, you know, from the first training session that we had, we were having specific conversations, me and him, about where he likes the, you know, the ball crossed in certain areas and, you know, where I can expect him, uh, you know, maybe even if I don't pick my head up um, in, in certain situations. So, um, he's very, very focused on on his goal this year, and I know exactly what that goal is. And um, you know, we're going to push him to, to to succeed.
0: Okay, and here's Jurgos talking about if it's going to be fun to play Arsenal in the All Star game.
4: Of course, it's a big challenge. It's uh, it's going to be a very competitive game. Um, I mean, I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to play against these players. They are in they're the in the world, and uh, it's going to be really hard. And uh, on the other hand, it's going to be. A very good lesson for us to see how much we have to raise our standards.
0: Some of you may have seen that Lenny United has been reportedly tied to signing a defensive midfielder who plays in France's second division. Of course, the first question I'd ask Pineda is if that report is accurate.
5: I mean, we haven't released anything, of course. I understand it's time for rumors and stuff like that. Uh, it's not me who has to... To let you know anything about it, I think uh, my head is only about Philly, to be honest. And uh, I hope the club, as soon as possible, whenever we have news for you guys, you will be the first one to know.
0: And then Pineda obviously wasn't going to answer that question. At least, you know, give it a, a factual answer. But I did follow up by asking, well, is defensive midfielder one of the positions that he wants to strengthen? And he said they're looking to strengthen several positions. But here's Pineda talking about what he saw or didn't see against Red Bulls that the team needs to do better against Philadelphia.
5: Two things to me. When we review, I mean, a couple circumstances uh, in the game, early stages, I think we were disrupting them very well. But multiple fouls, I think it was two minutes and it was already three, four fouls for them and, you know, that breaks a little bit the rhythm to 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 break up an opponent because you don't have the rhythm to break the first line, then the second line, and then probably having a chance on goal, but fouls, fouls, fouls. It's, it's a theme that uh, affects us a little bit, and then after that, we were not sharp on the ball enough, and, and then, you know, we consider a goal in a silly way, in a throwing. So, again, things to review, the circumstances, the state of the games, how we consider the four goals, some individual mistakes i would say some others more kind of mental breaks where we didn't pay attention to things so those are the things we have to correct but the main part to me is being better on the ball it's always a solution for us we cannot go into a game like red Bulls or philly and try to play the same style that they do because we're going to fail on that they're going to be better than us they have multiple years playing the same style so they almost Uh, perfection that style so uh, what we have to do is to play better our style when we have done that we have done great games against them so near red bulls this year at home i think we're very good last year in their house we were pretty good even though we lost Uh, last year here against philly we were pretty dominant and we didn't allow even one shot on goal for them so i think when we play with our style um and we do a good a good job on doing that we are normally the dominant team on the field.
0: Of course, four of the goals scored by Red Bulls can be directly traced to individual errors made by landing United players. I asked if he had reached a, a level of frustration.
5: At the moment, of course, frustrates everyone, right? The players, the coaching staff, everyone is frustrated. After that, after you pass that period, you have to reflect, you have to analyze, you have to go into the solutions because you cannot just be a coach that only complains about the mistakes, about the mistakes, about the mistakes and what are you doing to fix it. So whether it's changing formation, changing personnel, doing a little bit different there on the back line, how we can give better tools to, to the team in general to to be better defensively, more solid, right? Um, So that's our job, that's what we've been working this week, and I hope to see a better response this time.
0: And here's Pineda talking about if Yorgos and Almada, uh, his thoughts on them making the All-Star team.
5: Very proud of them, I think it's very well deserved. I mean, Yorgos is, is the best attacker in terms of goals per 90 uh Thiago is i think tied second in goals plus assists and i think he's tied first in chances creator or something like that so he has Many, many good stats on him. Um, of course, Thiago, first part of the season, was producing way more, probably, you know, the free kicks and the motivation and this and that. And the last few months, it's been, you know, not not completely the same. So we're trying to bring back Thiago to be more comfortable on the field, to, to have even a little bit more freedom to attack, to create more runs in behind. So so it's not just Thiago, but the type of runs we are putting for him once he receives turns. And we have multiple players running behind the better for Thiago So either he's going to pass or the, uh, the back line is going to drop more. He can carry on with the ball and maybe take a couple shots from distance. He's very, from distance. He's very good at that. So how we can organize the team to have a better Thiago, a better Yaku, is always a good point, but uh, just this news is just motivated. It's, it motivates us to, to continue working with everyone because we have good players and we just need to put them there to play at a better standard. So very happy for Thiago and Jaco and, and, you know, uh, just very, very proud of
0: them. All right. Next, you're going to hear from Steve Cangelosi, one of the longtime voices of soccer, among other things, in American sports. Always a good guy to talk to. A really nice guy. Um, I hope you'll enjoy this segment of Southern Fried Soccer. Steve is a New York native and graduate of NYU. You've heard his voice covering a variety of soccer leagues around the world. Uh, and sports. He's one of the most recognized names and voices in Major League Soccer. He's joining us here to talk about Sunday's match against Philadelphia. Steve, how are you doing today?
2: Thanks for that intro. That just means I've been around longer than most people, dog. <laughs> but I appreciate the kind words. It's nice to be with you. This is a a wonderful job that Atlanta Journal-Constitution does covering Atlanta. It's been for a long time.
0: Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. So Atlanta United to me, is one of the most confounding teams in the league. Scores a bunch of goals, gives up a bunch of goals. And you look at the goals and, you know, I've said this before on on the podcast in previous episodes. It's like, well, certainly that couldn't happen again. That was a one-off. And then every game, something like that happens again. When you watch the team, what is your take on what you're seeing?
2: This will be my fourth trip this season already to Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and I think you just described in a microcosm why I enjoy the trips down there because (laughs) let's not forget, mistake-filled games usually make for fun games to call (laughs) and goals going into the net on each end of the field. So I'm doing the podcast with you right now, having spoken to Gonzalo Pineda earlier this afternoon. One of the things that he said to me Stood out. Maybe you've heard this in all your time around the team. He said today, seventy percent of the goals we've conceded, we've inflicted on ourselves, mm-hmm. and wasn't that largely what the Red Bulls four nothing loss was about? in their most recent disappointing outing at Harrison a couple of days ago, because you look at that game and there are things there that I think you just chalk up to inattentiveness and those (laughs) things have to stop. The first goal was conceded, obviously off a throw in the young kid, Daniel Edelman makes a nice shot, obviously deserves the goal, but it shouldn't have been created in the first place. And then the fourth one, which was the icing on the cake. I just thought it was, a clear unwillingness by Atlanta to defend properly in its own end. I thought there was ample time mm-hmm. to not have Frankie Amaya be in position to score such a goal. They're dealing with things, obviously, defensively. And I'm wondering if some of that right now is due to the absence of Miles Robinson. It would not surprise me at all if in this game in particular, knowing how a striker like Mikhail Ua has the ability to stretch defenses. He's the fastest of that great attacking three that Philadelphia has. I'm wondering if Gonzalo Pineda has his defense not play as high as it typically does when you're missing the pace of a Miles Robinson. I don't think they'll be able to outscore their mistakes, to answer your question from a 30,000-foot view, because I think when you look at what's expected of this team, and I think with Almada and Yakamakis as part of the group, the core of the group, I think Atlanta fans want to see them contend with what I think are the big four in the East and four teams that could actually see a path to MLS Cup. You know who I'm talking about. It's Cincinnati, it's Nashville, it's New England, and the team they're going to face on Sunday, Philadelphia.
0: When you watch Atlanta's offense, do you see a lot of goals that you think come from team play? Or do you see a lot of goals that are results of moments of individual brilliance?
2: I think that Almada speaks to the individual brilliance, and I think that's set the tone. I think Yakamakis is a player that, look, I called New York Red Bulls games for almost two decades, right? right? To me, that's a player that would have fit with any of the superb teams that they put out there through the years. So obviously, there's a level of service that has to come from the likes of Brooks Lennon, or Tyler Wolf, or Caleb Wiley from the opposite side, or Derek Etienne when he gets back to the team. I think Almada can take over a game individually at any given moment, which is why I think the matchup this weekend with Jose Martinez is clearly the one that I can see our crew on MLS season pass trying to isolate this weekend. And we'll see how that manifests itself, because Jose Martinez is a player who plays on the edge, Doug. We all know that. But he can't cross that line if Almada has the ball just outside the 18 because then they're risking free kicks and they're going to see those free kicks without Andre Blake in goal this week. It's a big drop off to Joe Bendik, who gets the start for Philadelphia Sunday.
0: Philadelphia has had Atlanta United's number for I don't know how many consecutive matches now going back to that Champions League game in Mercedes-Benz Stadium under Heinze in 2021. I think that Atlanta's just – it's like Red Bulls. They've never been able to solve that Red Bulls puzzle. They've had great difficulty solving the Philadelphia Diamond midfield. They keep talking about the ways to do it. I'll be curious to see what they do on Sunday. You talked about you hope they don't – you you they may not play a high line. I've advocated for a long time trying to be a counterattacking team with Atlanta United for a little bit to try to shore up the defense, and they don't do it. I'll be surprised if they do that high or the a uh, lower line. But they got to start getting points because they're falling the wrong way down the table right now.
2: I tried to get Gonzalo to bite a little bit on what he'd tweak and he kind of hinted some things will be different, but as far as the overall philosophy, he seemed to be defending what they've been doing. I mean, one of the quotes I wrote down from my chat with him earlier today, "We have to be better with the ball, but our style that Will not change. It is what we do best. Our style simply has to be better. I focus a lot on Philadelphia's diamond midfield as well. And Danny and I have probably called the union more than any other MLS team for what's that wor- what that's worth so far this season. Jim Curtin, when you least expect it, is capable of throwing a wrinkle into his formation as well. Do I think it'll be a diamond midfield on Sunday? I do. Mm-hmm. However, He will not hesitate to play three in the back. He rolled that formation out for five consecutive games until a couple of weeks ago. Now, granted, he's more inclined to do that when Damian Lowe, the Jamaican center back, gives him that third quality center back. But he's done it without Lowe at least once with Nathan Harriel as well. It's something to look for if he's just looking to mix it up and maybe counterbalance whatever surprise Gonzalo Pineda might have in store for us on Sunday.
0: If you were Garth Lagerwave of Atlanta United, transfer window is about to open up. What position would you try to strengthen to help this team shore up these defensive errors?
2: I'd like to find a quality number six. If Ibarra is the best that Atlanta has put out this season, and you could speak to this better than I can. You've seen every minute the guys played this season. Probably the answer to that is yes, but it needs to be more than that. I think if you're going to succeed when push comes to shove against a lot of the teams that I mentioned in that little riff I did a moment ago who have quality attacking midfielders, I think that's the area of the field that needs to be a lot better. Now, you and I at this time, I don't think either one of us is capable of providing the answer on whether or not Tiago Almada will still be with this team on September 1st and how long this takes. Because remember, the European window, I don't believe, closes until September 1st. So this process could take a while. If Garth is just going to leave this open-ended and wait for the best possible offer that may not even come until, for all we know, August 20th or August 25th, then that situation kind of leaves everyone on the club in a little bit of a gray area. I guess that's a long way of me saying I don't want to go into the fall of 2023 without a quality number 10. So I guess I base that first answer on the assumption that Almada is going to finish out this year, at least with Atlanta.
0: I agree with you. I think they need, they they need a more athletic central midfielder. They don't have, uh, of the four guys who rotate in and out, any of them have a lot of pace. So when they get countered, they get in trouble. And with the mistakes they make, that happens probably more frequently than Pineda would want. So they need somebody with some speed who can cover some of those gaps. Now, before we we started recording this, you said on Tuesday you're going down to Miami. Mm. So I have to ask you, Gerardo Martino, this season, what is a reasonable expectation for the former Atlanta United manager at his new club, and what do you think he can do going forward?
2: He certainly paid attention to the trials and tribulations, and I thought the thing I took from his initial press conference in Miami yesterday is that it's very hard to put a finger on anything considering how many players on this club are unavailable right now. I think a lot of the focus is going to be about 2024. The cold, hard math of what he's walking into this season is the opportunity to win Titles either in Leagues Cup, of course, which is a harder road, or U.S. Open Cup, where he inherits a team that already has a berth in the semifinal round. Obviously, there'll be a lot of importance on that tournament, and it's a tough nut, right? August 23rd, they go to Cincinnati, a very difficult challenge for them. I do think that there's a great mystery here, not necessarily with Tata, but what kind of lead up do messy teammates need in mm-hmm. order to accentuate the play of the greatest player in the world you know busquets is going to walk in and he's going to know exactly what to expect but there are a lot of other players that i think will have this learning process of how do i play off the shoulder of Messi? how Do I compliment what Lionel does? Because if this is going to be nothing other than individualistic one-on-one greatness, yes, we'll certainly have moments. I don't know that that will lead to great team success, at least right now. Let's not forget, Tata only has 12 MLS regular season games to work with if indeed he does not get his proper working papers uh, before we shut down for League's Cup. That's a really short runway, and I think an unfair amount of time for anyone to have any real assessment, but I think what happens and what's engineered by Martino and Chris Henderson between this window that's about to open and what we see in February of 2024 will give us a better answer on what he's capable of accomplishing.
0: Yeah. If he can get Miami even into the playoffs this season, that would be one heck of a coaching job. I, I don't, I don't see hard. it, Doug. I yeah, don't, know I don't if see it do. either. That, that's why I say it'd be a heck of a coaching job. They're so far behind in so few games and so many injuries. If they could somehow win that U.S. Open Cup and get that berth into the Champions League, that would be really interesting to me next season because he didn't get to manage Atlanta United in the Champions League. It was DeBoer Mm -hmm. uh, when they got in for the first time. So I'm really curious to see what he could do with Miami in that tournament.
2: And I also think that there are big decisions to be made based on what the rules will be uh, for the coming season as well. Like one example that comes to mind, I understand Gregory, who's so important to the Miami midfield, began some light training very recently. So there's still some hope he's going to come back and be that fixture in the midfield and that very important player for this Miami side. Can we see by August 23rd that open cup semifinal, uh, a midfield with Busquets and Gregory together? Is there time to put that together? That changes a lot for this side if that does happen. And you know, Joseph Martinez, as well as anyone, I think the dynamic with Miami is very interesting. Tata obviously has great respect, they accomplished something very special in Atlanta. But I also thought one of the breakout quotes for him yesterday was. Yosef has to be the best version of himself. And I think Tata Martino would honestly assess this. The best version of Joseph Martinez in 2023 is starkly different from what you saw in 2018. Yeah, very much so. It's,
0: yeah, I'm a little surprised that he hasn't been traded because they keep talking about Campania, but Campania is not starting. It's an interesting situation. I'm really curious the personnel moves that'll be coming down the pipe. Well, we're going to wrap this segment up here. How do people find you on social media?
2: Oh, uh, please. Uh, a kanji apple. It's very easy. Once <laughs> uh, I started this uh, assignment, I decided to do the honorable thing. And I thought that would be the uh, the easiest way to do it. I've only changed my Twitter handle once. It took me about three days to figure out how to do
0: it. <laughs> I, yeah, I've been going through some system issues with some stuff of my own, so I feel your pain. You'll be able to hear it. Steve and Danny on the Fox broadcast on Sunday. It's also going to be free on Apple TV, if that's what you prefer to go to. Night United, Philadelphia on Sunday. Thank you very much, Steve.
2: Thanks, Doug. As
0: always, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC. When we come back, we'll dive into the mailbag. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal of Constitution.
1: Ocean Breeze. Tropical Beach. An air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut, are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC.
0: The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for our podcast listeners. If you subscribe today, you can get three months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's all of our sports coverage, our politics, our breaking news, our investigations, our food and dining, and so much more on AJC.com plus access to our e-paper and our assortment of newsletters. So join our community by going to subscribe.ajc.com podcasts. That's subscribe.ajc.com podcasts, so you always know what's really going on. And a couple of things I want to point out that the paper has done this past week that I found to be fantastic bits of journalism, a series called The Dancer, uh, written by Matt Kipner. I hope that you'll take a few minutes, try to find that. It's a two-part series, Just wonderfully reported, beautifully written about a tragic story. And then please check out Alan Judd's investigations of the University of Georgia's football program. All right, we're going to start. Well, actually, we're going to start with Wren, who asks several questions from the Twitters. He says he believes Philadelphia, like the Red Bulls, are considered a high-pressing team. Can I give my definition of a high-pressing team? Specifically, does a high-press refer to field position or simply constant pressure? Second, what are considered effective counters to a high-press team? Third, I frequently hear we like to play or build out of the back. What does a team not playing out of the back look like, and can you give us a couple of MLS East examples? Okay, so we'll tackle this series of questions first. A high-pressing team is a team that likes to try to pin the opponent in its defensive third when... It has the ball. It could also mean, as you pointed out, just high-volume pressure. Typically, teams that like to press or counter-press, if they lose the ball, they try to win it back within five seconds, some even quicker than that, some within three seconds. The thinking is you create turnovers in the opponent's defensive third. You're that much closer to goal. You're that much easier to score. You're attacking a, a defense that might be disorganized, that might not have the numbers behind the ball to stop you if you have numbers going forward. It's a fairly effective strategy. It, it does. It's not the only strategy. It's not the best strategy. It all just depends upon the personnel that you have. Red Bulls, as you heard Pineda say, I think, earlier in this podcast, they've perfected this system. It's one that Red Bulls play as a, for lack of a better word, as a corporate soccer entity at its various clubs around the world. Philadelphia also likes to play this disruptive ty- type of soccer. They do it with a diamond midfield, which is a little bit different than Red Bulls how they do it. They do it with a 4-4-2. Philadelphia plays a 4-4-2, but they play what's called a diamond midfield uh, that tends to try to squeeze opponents into the sides of the field or into corners. You typically don't see high-press teams go after opponents if they have the ball in the middle of the field because there's a lot more options. And if teams can play through the press and they can find that open man, they can then counter against the pressing team and get numbers going. It's in its favor. So teams that don't Like to play out of the back. Uh, Red Bulls don't like to play out of the back. Uh, Any team that is a high pressing team typically does not like to play out of the back. It would rather almost give up the ball and then win it at a more advantageous spot on the field. He continues I was shocked that Gigi, Wiley, Wolf, and Almada combination didn't produce last week. Well, they didn't have the ball. That was part of the problem. When they would get the ball, either they would lose the ball through just mistakes or Red Bulls would foul, starting plays with free kicks and then win those second balls. Atlanta United did a very, very bad job winning second balls against Red Bulls. And a second ball is a ball in which case, let's say there's a free kick, the ball is hit down the field, two players go up to win the ball. Neither one actually wins it where they have control. Who whichever team wins the ball after that first encounter, that's the team that's won the second ball. They get possession. They can start to build. He says, do you think Pineda will give it another shot? Thanks for all you do. And when at home with no Carvel machine, may I suggest a bucket of Bluebell Old Fashioned Vanilla? Well, thanks, Ren. I can't cheat on Carvel, though. I'm not a person who has a, a, a lack of integrity with regard to cheating on favorites or people, but I appreciate it. Joe says, I know you attend some of the practices. Looking at the coaching staff, it appears that both Rob Valentino and, And Eugenio Villazon Villazon, come from defensive backgrounds, with Villazon being the most recent addition to the defensive coaching staff. What coach spends the most time with the defense? Uh, They all interchange. There's not really, I don't think, a a defensive specialist. I see them all equally engaged in sessions. He says, sorry, I missed you in Newark. Hope you didn't have the same issues many of us did trying to get back home. No, I got home pretty easily. Uh, Thank you. And he says, whomever that coach is, could you try to get some time with him after the next game? Uh, Atlanta United typically doesn't like the uh, assistant coaches to be interviewed or the trainers or uh, people like that. So that's why you don't see them in stories too much anymore. All right. On to Ben. The union are known to punish their opponents when they make mistakes. Last week, they scored four goals on three shots on target. Now, you may be asking yourself, how is that possible? That's because penalty kicks don't count as shots on goal. Atlanta has been giving up goals very easily and with few shots on target. How concerned should the supporters be and the team if they suffer a multiple goal loss at home? Well, any multiple goal loss at home to any opponent is a cause for concern, especially with the next two games Atlanta United has upcoming. Thanks for your coverage and your latest piece on Yakamakis is fantastic from Ben in Philly. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate that. Um, that was a lot of fun to write. Your ghost is a, is a really good interview. I spoke with him on Wednesday after the training session and I uh, turned that story Thursday. It's up online now. I hope that y'all give it a read. It was or Yakamakis learned hard work through adversity, I think is the headline. Something like that. You could go to AJC.com if you want to read it. It kind of explains a little bit about why he's been so effective with Atlanta United and and the troubles it took him going through to understand uh, work ethic. We've got one from Ben that I answered in an email, but I'm going to throw it out on the podcast anyway because it was an interesting question. This is a different Ben. How do you explain Miles Robinson not making the All-Star team? For two years or more, all we've heard is that he's the best center back in the U.S. If not all of CONCACAF. At first, I thought it might be because he's at the Gold Cup, but several other Gold Cup players are on the All Star roster. What's up with that? Uh, it's a uh, Atlanta that has given up so many goals. That's that's the reason why. He is a fantastic defender. The unit, though, is you know allowed tied for the most goals in Major League Soccer. It's hard to reward someone with an All Star appearance when. The team that he's on leaks so many goals. It's been done in the past, but it is what it is. All right, now we're going to get, I think, into our final question of the week. From Nick, who always asks great questions. And Henry, Captain Redbeard, you guys, I need to start asking questions again. Nick says, here's a scenario for the podcast. You step into Garth's shoes for this transfer window. I'm sure his shoes are much nicer than my old Adidas ratty sneakers here. What do you do with one DP spot, one TAM spot, and one supplemental spot? What positions on the field would you fill with each of these spots to not only ensure the club's playoff position, but set up the club's future? You can also sell Tiago Almada for an additional DP spot, but then you must fill it in this window. Thanks for your coverage. You know, well, you fill... Tiago spot with another attacking midfielder. I think if you are going to go ahead and use that second DP spot, I would get a central midfielder, one who has some speed that the team just doesn't have right now. And it's it, that's not a criticism. It's just a fact. There's just not a lot of speed in central midfield right now. And when you're making these mistakes and turning over the ball fast, it's harder for those players to get back and try to be contributors to stopping counterattacks because it's just difficult for them to get back. At one supplemental spot is just going to be, you know, best player available. You you don't, Atlanta is able to get contributors from supplemental spots because a lot of those are homegrown players. But if you're trying to get just like a veteran on a minimum and bring them in, that's a, a tougher gig. Ozzie Alonzo was an example. We were joking with, with Gonzalo today because Joe Patrick was asking him about inverted wingers compared to natural wingers. And Gonzalo was like, well, if you have a a Riyad Mahrez uh, coming in, then inverted wingers will work. So then we're like, so is the team signing Riyad Mahrez? And Gonzalo was joking. He's like, yeah, we'll see. The team is not signing Riyad Mahrez. Although he would be a fantastic player in major league soccer. But anyway, so that is what I would do. I appreciate the questions, Nick. And, um, I hope to see y'all at the match on Sunday. I hope you have a safe 4th of July. If you're running in the Peachtree Road Race, please use the Atlanta Track Club website and our website for tips on what you need to do, because it's going to be hot. I'm not going to give you an advice. I don't run, but please just use those resources so that you can prepare yourself as best you can for what's going to be a, a predicted to be a very, very warm day. As always, hug your loved ones communicate with your loved ones. This is Southern Fried Soccer. Y'all take care.
1: Ocean Breeze. Tropical Beach. Pina Colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see... Do and enjoy along the world's most famous beach, Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on.
0: I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.
2: And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody.
0: It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities, Atlanta's thriving arts scene, and the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash Unapologetically, A-T-L.
2: Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.